Hey folks, welcome back to Drunk Gossip, and more specifically, welcome to this special segment of Politalk. I'm producer Will, and I am here to bring you a special update on the Georgia elections. Now, Georgia's become something of a national flashpoint following the presidential election in November, where the formerly reliably red state not only broke for Biden, but also didn't send any Republicans, or any candidates at all, to the Senate instead scheduling them for a runoff with what are unusually uncertain outcomes for Senate races in a southern state. Now, over the past few weeks, I have done more thinking about Georgia than any human should realistically have to, so that I can break down the situation for all of y'all who are listening. Now, although the current uproar in Georgia has focused solely on the 2020 election results, the story technically starts back in 2018, with the governor's election between Republican Brian Kemp and Democrat Stacey Abrams. The election proved to be an extremely contentious one for a number of reasons, the first being that Kemp, while running for governor, was also serving as Georgia's Secretary of State, meaning that it was his responsibility to oversee the election. Kemp refused calls to recuse himself from this process. In addition, a number of Kemp's actions as secretary in the year leading up to the election prompted cries of voter suppression from local Democrats, specifically the 2017 voter purges. Georgia has a policy of removing people from the voter rolls for not turning out to vote in recent elections. While campaigning, Kemp maintained that the 2017 voter purges were about safeguarding the election from fraud and state officials have argued that most of the people purged in 2017 had likely moved away or died. However, an APM reports investigation conducted in the aftermath of the 2018 election found that the purges had an error rate of nearly 20% in some cases. For example, on one day in late July 2017, Kemp's office removed 560,000 Georgians from the voter rolls. However, the investigation estimated that 107,000 of those people would otherwise have been eligible to vote in 2018. Furthermore, an analysis of the 2018 election results found that the purge likely gave an advantage to Kemp and other Republican candidates, as purged voters were more likely to live in Democratic precincts, while voters in traditionally Republican precincts were much less likely to be purged. As you all probably expect after all of that, Kemp won the election. He became Georgia's governor and appointed Brad Raffensperger as his secretary of state. Abrams contested but ultimately conceded the election results and ended up somewhat withdrawing from the national spotlight for the next two years in order to focus on building a grassroots voter registration effort in Georgia, an effort that would pay off pretty significantly come 2020. Now, 2020, despite being, well... 2020, was a pretty good year to be a Democrat in Georgia. Both of the state's Senate seats were up for election, one for a full term and the other to simply fill out the rest of a special term ending in 2023. And not only the president, but both of the incumbent senators were extremely unpopular. Y'all may remember Kelly Loeffler from when we talked about her back in March, the month where she came under fire for insider trading, specifically buying shares in a video conferencing company, while still telling the public that the coronavirus was not a serious threat. Luffler has denied the allegations, but has also found them impossible to shake. The same is true for Senator 
David Perdue, who avoided a number of sharp losses due to suspiciously well-timed stock sales and purchases around that time. Perdue has, if anything, an even spottier record on that front than Luffler does. The senator, one of the richest in Congress, has long been accused of using insider information from the committees he's on to inform his stock purchases. In addition, Perdue was pretty much publicly destroyed in a debate by the Democratic candidate, John Ossoff, and Luffler's candidacy was undermined by an attack from the right. Representative Doug Collins went after her seat and refused to leave the race, despite the urging of the RNC and most Senate Republicans. This all combined with Stacey Abrams' efforts to get out the Democratic vote in Georgia and led to Trump's defeat in the state and a failure to claim victory by either of his chosen senators. Unfortunately for the nation, in this producer's opinion, the Georgia Republicans managed to avoid total disaster as neither Ossoff nor Luffler's Democratic opponent Raphael Warnock managed to gain the required 50% of the vote they would need in order to avoid a runoff election with their second-place finishers in the general, specifically Purdue and Luffler. Now we get to the part of the story that most of y'all have already heard. Pretty much immediately after the 2020 elections, Trump takes to Twitter to denounce everything from mail-in ballots to voting machines, calls to stop the count in various states where he's ahead, Georgia included, and starts screaming about voter fraud and calls to overturn the election when states with late mail-in ballots turn blue. Georgia, which by this point has a Republican state legislature and a Republican governor, becomes a special target of his ire, most likely because he believes he can pressure them into overturning the election for him, most easily due to their shared party affiliation. Secretary Raffensperger, however, calls the election secure and resists Trump's calls to overturn it, as does Kemp, who eventually certifies the state for Biden. Trump and his lawyers at this point switch to their conspiracy theory about Dominion voting machines, a conspiracy theory that is quickly disproven in Georgia when Raffensperger's hand recount returns the same results as the machine count. Trump and especially his lawyers ignore this and continue to claim fraud despite fears and warnings from the Republican National Convention and Senate Republicans that it could depress turnout among Trump's base. After all, why should Trump supporters vote if machines can easily flip their votes to Democratic and election officials from their own party are allowing such widespread fraud? For their part, Luffler and Purdue have backed Trump in his claims of widespread voter fraud and have called for Raffensperger's resignation to ensure that their own runoff elections are free from his influence. The two Republicans are walking a fairly dangerous line here. In a larger and moral sense, democracy depends on the losers accepting the election results and moving aside for a peaceful transition of power. If that doesn't happen, democracy breaks down. However, on a more micro scale, after the 2020 elections, Democrats hold 48 seats in the Senate, while Republicans hold 50. Given that Vice President Kamala Harris will serve as a tiebreaker, Georgia's two Senate races will effectively determine control of the upper chamber. The Senate runoffs, scheduled for January 5th, are expected to be very competitive. Both Ossoff and Warnock are pulling ahead of the senators they're challenging. 
though the results are well within the margin of error at present. If Purdue and Loeffler end up convincing Republicans in Georgia to stay home because they believe the election is fraudulent, which Trump attorneys and full-on MAGA people Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood have suggested they do, they would not only be shooting themselves in the foot personally, but denying their party any serious power in the legislature for at least the next two years. Personally, I hope this is what happens, not only because I disagree with the Republican Party's platform on virtually every level, but because I think it would be hilarious. But ultimately, we will find out on the 5th. Or two or three weeks after the 5th, given that this is a pandemic and a lot of people are going to be mailing in their ballots. And that about wraps it up for this special update of Politalk. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Until next time. Cheers.